Peter was on this before anyone else. So he's really the, the godfather of all this. Um, and he points out that the CIA branch responsible, the OPC, for these early you know, establishment of these heroin networks, the Office of Policy Coordination, uh, could rationalize its role in restoring this post-war narcotics traffic with the thought that it was like, oh, you know, this has kind of been here Opium for a long time. Yeah, like, it's a long yeah, time. It's a regional it. thing. And it's not even what they're doing is as egregious as, as the opium wars because now they're talking about, you know, opium grown in these areas where they do have a tradition of it, but never on the scale that the U.S. was doing it or the, or the Brits with the opium war. Like there was opium in China, but it wasn't like what it was once they turned it into a, you know, market economy or commodity the way the British did. So this is uh, a, key, a key aspect of parafascism and, uh, we, and, and the clandestine underworld that helps to order the universe that we live in. And of course, KMT troops start getting their money from less official sources. Uh, and, and as Peter points out, there's these parallels with the Cubans who were disowned very similarly by the CIA, uh, but then started being backed up by the sort of puppet organizations, Operation Condor being sort of the network of them, but specifically the governments of Chile, Nicaragua, and the Dominican Republic. Uh, this is obviously prior to uh, the Sandinista Revolution. But uh, as he points out, and and for those of you familiar with uh, you know, sort of Bay of Pigs era Cuban operations. JM Wave is pretty much, I believe, the biggest CIA base outside of Langley. Um, I think it was they, the only, I think it was actually the only full on base that they had on domestically, which was of dubious legality because they're not supposed to operate that way. So there's still a lot of fascists kicking around in, uh, in Miami at this point, And that's a, plays a big part of it. But as it gets closed down, again, same thing that happened with the uh, the, the Chinese opium uh, flights. The same thing happens with the Jam Wave folks. A counterintelligence operation, uh, it, which uh, you know is commonly known as Operation Forty, was shut down because they were also caught flying a bunch of narcotics into the U.S. So they get disowned very similarly, and uh, and this gets leaked uh, as as Peter says. The only reason this actually comes up and then the New York Times covers it is because it was actually sort of a strategy by William Colby, the new CIA director, to force uh, James Angleton out and force his res resignation by having this stuff about Operation 40 and uh, nar narcotics trafficking come out. Uh, but and Operation he, Chaos, the Operation Chaos stuff was especially key in getting, which uh, Colby was leaking to Cy Hirsch, which Peter puts in this essay, which is... Cool, because he was, he was on to that, that angle a long time ago. Way out ahead of it. So yeah, as he, as he goes on to point out, the, uh, the New York Times reporting on Jam Wave that gets it shut down is really a limited hangout because it doesn't tell the full story. For one, obviously, Operation 40 starts out as a ring of uh, professional assassins sent to kill Castro. But as we know, started to bleed over a little bit into a certain U.S. president's uh, assassination. Uh, but they also failed to point out that what the Justice Department found in what they called Operation Eagle, Juan Restoy, who was leading this ring, uh, was a ring of wholesalers nationwide handling about 30% of all heroin sales and 75 to 80% of all cocaine sales in the United States in 1970. So we're talking about this ring of, uh, of Bay of Pig veterans who are essentially 
monopolizing the entire cocaine trade and a, and a good chunk of the, the heroin trade in the U.S. And as he goes on to point out, uh, the, these sort of future DEA, BNDD types uh, start trying to say, oh, it's actually the Mexican cartels that we need to be worried about when it's really their, their close friends, the Cubans, who are, who are running this market. Yes, this was the disposal problem. And, uh, you know, if you've got an army that you trained and then they never get to go and fight their war and retake their country, then, uh, you know, it's hard to know what do you do with your life after you've been a part of something like that? You know, you have a skill set that's maybe kind of limited. You're not going to become like a, you know, construction worker or a fisherman. Uh, You're going to sell drugs and maybe kill people, things like that. So this is how these guys are put to work. I mean, it says at the end, there was something like, what's the number of people that were uh, employed? The, the JM Wave Station in Miami employed the, from 300 to 700 U.S. agents and from 2,000 to as many as 6,000 Cubans. <laughs> That's 6,000 guys who are, you know, some guys who, who are not really suited for polite society, uh, uh, by and large, I think, because they're, you know, part of a repressive apparatus or, or criminal underworld and so on. So this is uh this is a, a real scandal. And so how do you keep it from being a scandal? Well, the Times, New York Times systematically ignored or understated the involvement of this Operation 40, you know, which grew out of these pig veterans and so on, uh, in political operations, like like assassinations, let's say parapolitical operations, uh, the World Heroin Network and Watergate, because a lot of these guys are involved in in Watergate. Uh, he says of the nine Cubans who came to Washington for the Watergate break-in. In June of 72, at least four, and maybe all nine, were part of a phase of the uh, counterintelligence part of Operation 40. So these, are, these guys figure heavily into, into this. And this, Peter gets into something here, which I think is important to understand. Part of what Nixon was doing, which terrified people in Watergate during the Watergate era, and it helps to explain some of what James McCord was freaking out about. Um, so part of Nixon reorganizes the, he, the, under the Nixon administration, you have the sort of the collapse of the old narcotics agency and because it had been involved in various scandals involving drugs, especially it had been totally corrupted by the CIA. Nixon did come to have like issues with the CIA and conflicts with the CIA. And it seems like and Peter's making this argument that, and, and he's, he's written more about this in the past, but one of the things that Nixon was doing, which was scaring people on top of his, liberal policies and detente with China and so on. He wanted to reorganize the national security state and bring it more under the control of the president. Uh, and so, and it wasn't that he thought, well, the CIA is doing illegal things and I'm the president. I can't do illegal things. We know he doesn't think that. He thinks that whatever the president does is legal. But he wants to create his own narcotics agency and he's employing some of the most corrupted people from the older practices anyway, like, uh, you know, E. Howard Hunt, Lucien Conine, and these other people who have been corrupted and involved in the drug traffic anyway. So it's, you know, this, the more cynical interpretation would be that Nixon was attempting to set up a new CIA that would do all those things, but would be more under the thumb of the White House and maybe Nixon personally, like he was going to outsource some of these functions where he felt like there was bureaucratic inertia and, you know, Eastern establishment infiltration or whatever Nixon thought in his own mind. But like, he really did try to ring to rein in the CIA and he tried to deal with this drug angle in a way where he was almost going to create his own 
you know, gangster CIA, but which of course there's not a non-gangster CIA, but an, a new one and, and have it, you know, intertwined with this new drug enforcement agency, uh, going forward. That was just an excerpt from the American exception podcast to hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire. 